Today, we're going to be looking at Colossians 3. So if you've got a Bible, if you could turn there. There are some Bibles on the sides as well if you've not got your phone or your Bible with you. And I'm preaching as part of our series on kingdom culture. And my talk today, if you're a note taker like me, is titled Living as Those Made Alive in Christ, which Joel was like, wow, that's so catchy. I don't know if it is, but we'll see (laughs) as I carry on. So I'll just read the passage for us from Colossians and then I'll pray for us. So Colossians 3 verses 1 to 17 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears... Then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another uh, with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. I'll just pray for us before I speak. Father God, thank you for your word. That is an incredible passage that you would love to bring us um, this evening. I pray that you would just speak through me. I pray that any words that are not of you, you would just let blow away with the wind. And I just pray that for each individual here tonight, whether they've come tired and weary or overjoyed and enthusiastic about life, I pray that they would hear what they need to hear this evening. And I pray that, Jesus, you would meet them as they are. They would know they don't need to bring their best selves to church. They can just come as they are. And I pray that they would go away knowing we are made alive in you and we can live out that truth as we step out of this place today. Amen. Great. So, um, in the NIV, so that was, yeah, just the Bible I happened to be reading at the time, this part of Colossians is titled, Living as Those Made Alive in Christ. 
And for me, the Peak District gives me life. Maybe you're new to Sheffield. Maybe you've never seen this view before. Does anyone here know where this is? Any Sheffield locals or old timers? Oh, Tom thinks Stanage Edge, kind of, over there. Oh, person had their hand up. It's what? Nice, yeah, so it's like overlooking Burbage Valley. So it's like Higator overlooking Burbage Valley. And this is a spot that I went to with my small group. Uh, we had some ice creams, if you can imagine that on a kind of more, well, maybe today, it is a bit sunny actually, but I was gonna say a wintry day. Um, but for me, that is just such an incredible view. And it just gives me life and it makes me feel alive. And when I'm in that place, in the Peak District, I think, wow, what a creator we have. What an incredible God that he cares about me, but he also cares about that view and cares about the beauty and life in Sheffield, in our city. So first discussion question, we're going to have two kind of discussion points tonight to let you chat to the people around you. So first discussion question is... What makes you feel alive? So I've said the Peak District, I'm a runner, so obviously I'm gonna say the Peaks, but what gives you life? Is it an amazing view? Is it doing some art? Is it a friend that you're like, I just feel alive when I chat to them? Is it a TV show that you love watching? What gives you life? Chat to the person next to you, preferably someone you don't know would be really cool. So try and turn around and meet someone new, if you know everyone, that's great. That's really cool. Chat to them. Okay, couple of minutes. What gives you life? I wonder what you said. I wonder what you shared. It was amazing just seeing the buzz of people sharing what gives them life in the room. How amazing would it be if that's how we spoke about Jesus? And that's how excited we were about the one who gives us life. And it was like the first thing we wanted to tell people. Did you notice that one of the first things I said about myself was, I love Parkrun? Honestly, I'm like an evangelist for Parkrun. But imagine if Jesus was that first thing that I said to people. Imagine if I was known in my sports team and in my workplace and amongst my friends as someone who just loved to bring up Jesus. Jesus is my life. That's what Paul says, and we're going to see that in the passage. Imagine if that thing you just talked about was Jesus as well. It doesn't have to replace it. You can love all these things in your life, but imagine if Jesus was the top thing, the, the thing that gave you the most life. So if I'd asked Paul that same question, wish I could, maybe in heaven, we'll see. Um, if I'd asked Paul that same question, he would have given the classic Sunday school answer of, oh, Holly, I'm made alive in Christ. And you might be thinking, oh, Paul, you got it easy. You've got it so easy. Of course you're made alive in Christ. You're an evangelist. You're a cool guy. But actually, our context of Colossians, and this really surprised me when I was studying it and when we've been looking at it in church, is Paul was writing in the context of being in prison. He's not writing from a place of ease. He's not speaking from a place of, I'm loving life, I'm on the mountaintop. Paul is in the valley. He's in the desert place and in prison. And you might feel like that tonight. You might, when I said, what if it was Jesus, your best thing, think, maybe something rude that you shouldn't say. Maybe you'd be thinking, oh, really? 
really, because it doesn't feel like that. I'm struggling, is maybe what you're feeling tonight. And so was Paul. That's where he's writing from, okay? So he was writing to encourage people like you in our church. He was contending, is the word used in Colossians 2, for people he'd never met. Many of these people he didn't know and he probably would never meet. And he felt isolated and he felt alone, but he wanted to encourage them. So my question is, how could Paul so confidently say he was made alive in Christ despite his circumstances, not because of them? How could he say that the old has gone and the new has come when we still see so much division and brokenness and hardship around us and in our own lives? How did Paul learn to live out his faith in the now and the not yet kingdom. So Paul lays out, I'm going to kind of go through the structure of Colossians 3 for us because it was quite a big passage. So he lays it out simply put as old versus new. Okay, so through verses 1 to 17, I'm just going to focus on the first four verses, which talk about being made alive in Christ. Um, And then we'll pray in response about the rest of the passage. But at the start of the passage, Paul encourages us that despite our circumstances, we should set our hearts and our minds on Christ. So I'm going to ask you to do a very primary school thing with me. Can you just hold your heart like this, just to remind you, and then touch your head? Let's go heads. Let's go hearts. Hearts, heads. This is so fun. Heads, heart, heart, head. Great. Thanks. That's just a visual reminder to you that Paul is not talking about a words level thing. Paul is talking about whole life devotion to God, okay? He says, and to get all English teacher on you, the imperative verb set, set your heart and set your mind. That's a command. He's telling us, set your heart and mind on God, meaning we need to actively posture and shift our perspective to God and to his will for our lives because I don't know about you but I am so easily distracted from the will of God I go my own way I do whatever I want but Paul tells us we need to devote ourselves back to worshiping him and he knows we can't do this in our own strength but he reminds us in Romans 8 another book in the Bible that and this is a cracking verse The same spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Let's just say that again, in case anyone has fallen asleep. The same spirit of him who rose Jesus from the dead is living in you. So right now, the spirit of God that rose Jesus from this cross is in you. When you go into work tomorrow morning, that same spirit is in you when you go into uni, when you go into your halls, wherever you go, that same power is in you. So don't worry about doing it in your own strength. He's way more powerful than you. He can literally bring a dead person back to life. So don't worry, it's not on you, okay? How incredible is that? I was actually excited to read that verse today. As I was driving up, I was like, I get to say the same spirit lives in you that rose Jesus from the dead. So good. And Paul reminds us in Colossians 3, verses 3 to 4, for you died, big word, you died, and your life 
is now hidden with Christ, who will also appear with him in glory. So when God sees you, he looks at you right now, he looks at you wherever you go, and when God sees you, because Jesus defeated death on the cross, he now sees his own son. Pretty cool. What a privilege. And usually, I think we see the word hidden, so hidden in Christ, as a bad thing. But in fact, hiding is only a bad thing if you're ashamed or guilty about what you're hiding behind. We know there is no condemnation in Christ. And when we hide behind him, we are clothed with forgiveness and his grace beyond measure. He is our great pioneer and ambassador as he goes before us. And it actually made me think um, as a teacher of how sometimes I teach students who are siblings. And it's either the first thing they tell me. So they come up to me, oh, miss, did you teach my brother? Yeah, he's really cool, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, really smart. Yeah, I'm going to hide behind him because he's the best. I'm exactly like him. And these students, well, their hope is that their brother going before them will grant unlimited forgiveness from me as a teacher and unlimited good grades. And it doesn't work like that, kids. But they want to be hidden by their brother's success, don't they? Just like we want to be hidden in Christ because he's an amazing brother and friend to hide behind. However, sometimes students come to me really embarrassed and their sibling is the last thing they tell me about. In fact, they don't even mention it. And they say, oh yeah, he is my brother, but I'm way better behaved than him, and he's really weird, miss, isn't he? And don't associate me with him ever. I'm really embarrassed about him. And it's kind of like they want me to forget about the brother altogether, hiding instead behind the pride of their own ability and their own good grades, which they believe are better than their brothers who's gone before them. They don't want to be hidden in guilt or shame of the past. They're embarrassed. And I think this is what we do with Jesus sometimes. I think this is what Paul means when he says, your life is hidden in Christ. When God sees us and when our friends see us, instead of seeing our guilt, our shame, they should see Jesus in us. And your view of Jesus affects how you're going to speak about that. It's either joy and excitement and pride and glory, or it's shame and embarrassment and fear, and I'm going to push it under the carpet because it's the worst thing about me. I'm not even going to tell you I'm a Christian. So I think when Paul says this, he's encouraging us that we live this side of the cross. Death has been defeated. Jesus has gone before you and defeated death. So you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be guilty or live in shame. We can live, as he says later in the passage, as chosen, forgiven people. So we're going to go deep now, if that's okay, and spend some time in prayer and reflection to reflect on this idea of actually you might be feeling, gosh, yeah, that's me actually. That's me. I'm pretty ashamed of Jesus in my life. I tell lies there's slander, there's anger, there's rage. All of those things are listed in the passage. And I want us to step into new life. 
I want to give you that opportunity today, even if it's just for yourself in your own heart. You don't have to tell anyone. But we're going to spend some time reflecting on that because from verses 5 to 11, Paul is very much speaking in the past tense. And that's for you today. It's in the past. He says, put to death. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. He says one of my favorite verses then after that list of things in the past. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. What an inclusive, freeing gospel we have to share with others. But how often are we ashamed because this simple gospel is used by others to exclude and divide and silence our friends, our brothers and sisters of color, those with disabilities, people who are gay. The list of marginalized groups goes on. But Paul says so clearly in Colossians 3, Christ is all and is in all. And he goes on to encourage us, forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love. That's what we are, people of love. That's what Christians are, people of love with a simple gospel to share. So my question and challenge, and I'm going to ask you to reflect by yourself, you might choose in this space, we're going to have a bit of time to either think by yourself about it, I'm going to give a few options later on. But in this my question and challenge is, are you being honest with yourself and others about the freedom that we have in Christ? Are you ashamed of the gospel or are you sharing it boldly with your neighbours, with your colleagues, with your teammates, with your friends, despite how different they might look to you? And I'm going to give us a few minutes now to reflect. You can close your eyes if that's helpful. You can put out your hands if you want. You can scribble down notes. I'm a journaler, so I would scribble down notes in a journal. Maybe you'd even like to go to the back. Joel put out a whiteboard, whoop, a whiteboard, and it just says old and new. So at any point in worship, if you're a creative in the room, you might want to just go to the back and write one thing on the left you're going to leave behind today. It might be lies. It might be anger. It might be self-hate. And then something new. I'd love you to step into that newness of kindness or compassion or gentleness. So have a moment. We're just going to think by ourselves a couple of minutes. Hopefully introverts in the room, this is giving you space. Um, have a think and then I will pray for us in a couple of minutes. And then we've got about five, ten more minutes. And then we will close and go back into some worship. As we kind of, yeah, come into thinking more about applying this and kind of ending on a bit of a high, that was a deep moment, as I said it would be, um, going to end on a high, all good, but thanks, and yeah, well done if you took a moment there to honestly reflect, that's really cool. Um, so then after Paul kind of speaks in the past tense, he then obviously goes on to the future, so you can see it there, oh, awesome, so we've got the old with putting those things to death. So in the past, those are the things that have gone. Those are the ways of division. And then the new and the life is the ways of unity and of kindness and compassion, all of those things. Okay. So now we've had some time to reflect. 
we're going to look at that next bit. So the life and the freedom and the thankfulness that Paul speaks of. So he says in verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen holy people, uh, people holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And he's using imperative, come on words again, like clothe, forgive, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, because these are active daily choices that we need to be making in our lives. When you get dressed in the morning, which I hope you do, um, and clothe yourself each day, it doesn't change the weather or the circumstances outside, does it? If you put on a raincoat, it's still raining. The circumstances don't change, but you change. You clothe yourself and you change. So let's be active in praying that we would clothe ourselves each day with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Maybe that's something this week that you want to do in your quiet times. Maybe make a little bit of space five minutes in the morning and you just focus on one of those words each day. Maybe it's something you even want to tell a friend you're going to do this week and keep them accountable. Like, hey, I really want to think about kindness with my colleagues this week or I really want to have compassion to my teammates. That's something I don't do enough. Think really practically. Who can you keep accountable to doing this? And could you even encourage your small group in this? Is there someone you see, I know so many people in this room, who are just like the kindest people I know. I'm constantly telling Molly and Jack, my housemates, they are so kind. I think they're awesome. And I just love to tell them. And could you do the same? Could you remind people around you that you're seeing godly characteristics in them? They're kind, they're compassionate, they're patient. You guys, definitely patient with me as a housemate. So remind them, like, tell people around you when you see godly characteristics in them, tell them. And if you want, call them out if you don't see it or tell them to call you out if they don't see it in your life. Woo, I saw some interesting looks in the room there. People were like, to each other. That was good. Um, and Paul does that for us. So he ends his passage by saying, with all of these things, with what we've left in the past, with, with the old, with what we've taken into the new, be thankful. How cool is that? So he says, and be thankful as a full sentence. Can we just appreciate that that grammatically doesn't make sense? He uses a connective and to start his sentence. What was he thinking? Did he have an English teacher? But it's awesome. He's saying, with all of this in mind, with all of the tricky things you've left behind, with all of the beauty that you're stepping into because of Christ, because of what he did for you on the cross, and be thankful. That would be great, wouldn't it? If we were known on our university courses, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods as thankful people, people who forgave often, who had an attitude of gratitude, to rhyme for you, and who just loved really well. Wouldn't that be amazing? I had a conversation this week with um, my head of year in school. I thought she was telling me off because someone in my form had done the splits in form time, and I was singing a little song with them in form. And they walked in, and they were like, what's going on here, miss? And I was like, oh, we're just having a joyful time. We're just having fun. And she was like, okay, noted and walked away, and I was like, oh, I've lost my job. Lord, I've lost my job. 
I'm not a teacher anymore. Lord, forgive me. I'll become a vicar. But I'm, I'm not becoming a vicar yet. <laughs> but actually, she came to me straight after school that day, and she said, Holly, you are such a person of love. Where does it come from? You just ease, ease, ooze, thankfulness and joy. Where does it come from? And I got to tell her the gospel, and it was so amazing. It was so natural and just like, oh, well, actually, I don't love kids of my own strength. They're really annoying, aren't they? But <laughs> I've committed this year, and this is due to colleagues who are Christians and friends encouraging me. I've committed to praying for each of my students by name. So at the start of the year, I prayed for all of them by name. Oh my goodness, it's changed my attitude to my students compared to last year when I was like, oh, these are annoying. This year, they're annoying, but I love them. And I love them because Jesus loves them. And actually in that moment, I got to say to her, look, I just want to bring joy in form time. Is that okay? And she was like, of course, you're the best form tutor because you do that. You don't have to stick to the script or be super strict all the time. These kids have the best time in the world in form with you because they're seeing your faith. And I was like, what? That's cool. That's really cool. And it's the same for every single person here today. You are Jesus to your colleagues, to your students, to whoever else, maybe in your flat. You are Jesus to those people. And some of them might never step into this church building, but some of them might. And so before we turn back to worshiping together, I would love you to turn to the person next to you or the person you're sat with today, and I'd love you to pray for them. So earlier in the week, I had a word from God saying, I want to see my church pray. And it was so cool. It was so exciting, this vision of like different people praying for each other. And I came and I asked Joel today when we were setting up, Joel, I know it's been out there, but can I just get everyone praying for each other at the end? And he was like, that's so cool. We were literally just talking about that today. That's so encouraging. Yes, let's do it. So we would love you to pray for each other. We would love you to pray for the people around you or the person that you're sat next to, that this person would know they are made alive in Christ, that they are chosen and they can be thankful. Pray too for opportunities for them to share the simple gospel with their friends. Pray that they would do it boldly, Pray that they would be Jesus to those people and go from this place with compassion and kindness. So we'll pray and then I think we'll go into a bit more of a time of sung worship.